As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? Uh, hey, Louisa, what's up? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Lucy, um, Lucy, shut up the moment you said hi, Louisa. I swear to God, so, oh. like that's why I turned around. Uh, but anyway, hi, how are you guys? How's it going? I'm good. Ramin Nazer is joining us. He's our guest. Yay! I'm here. I love just the way that you two say hello to each other. There's mm-hmm. so much in just the hey, Louisa. Hi, Jake. You can tell like what kind of mood it is like gonna be before it even starts. There's so much just in that beginning thing. I don't even know if you're aware that you're doing it, but. It's always weird because we always have like a little pre-chat and then it starts to veer off into like, this is good for the podcast. We should like immediately jump into it. So then we do pick up in a mood of whatever we were just talking about. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. So it could be reflective of that. But um, I do, guess today's like a lot of stuff, right? Do the, well, hold on. Before we move past it, if you're listening to this, do you guys know that the beginning of the show when I go, hi, Louisa, and then she goes, hi, Jake, do you know that that's fake? Because it is. Because we are usually talking about something beforehand. And then we go, okay, let's start. And then we start by pretending that we're starting to have a conversation. You fooled me. You fooled me. I thought uh, it was like legit the Zoom call just started. I'm like, man, they just go into it like that. That's great. No. Uh, no one is like that. Jake, I thought I thought it was a real hello. I mean, it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I never like plan it. You know what I mean? Like it feels very like, okay, we're checking in and now it's time to like start doing the podcast so it feels like a real hello because it's not like when we first sign on the zoom we're like hey jake i'm lisa <laughs> you know <laughs> like, hey man what's up <laughs> no yeah. it's i mean so it's, it's, it's our real first official hello of the day i know but it's real in the sense that when you say hi how are you to someone in real life you don't actually that's like not exactly. what you're really saying exactly. it's a formality you know that, that's what I mean exactly. That it is a real hello in that sense. That we go into what's going on in like really tell me, please. Also, can you turn yeah. your mic up a little bit? You're a little low. My mic up? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. How about that? Yeah, you sound better. Okay. Okay. Well, now it's to- becoming com- somewhat Seinfeldian of like, why do we say hello? We already know we're standing in front of each other. Why don't we just say <laughs> what we want to say? I know, but can I tell you, I think I have, if anything, um, in these two weeks that we've been on vacation, uh, I've been even diving deeper into human interactions and why and how we interact and why we interact that way. So this did not feel weird to me at all. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about how we say why, <laughs> how we say hi and why. <laughs> I'm like all this stuff. Well, sometimes uh, what Seinfeld I have not was done doing... any psychedelics, guys, in the last two weeks. This is just uh, edibles and vacation. This is edibles count. Things. Edibles yeah. is a psychedelic. Yeah. Maybe not officially, but the, the places you can go on just over taking five milligrams more than what you should have is. I, I think you're actually really right because I, um, I usually smoke, but then I got a smoker's cough developing. So then I'm not supposed to be smoking. So I was like, what does that mean? You, you cough when you're a- not supposed to. Yeah, I just have a, a recurring cough that I, is not connected to anything. Like, I don't have a virus or a bacteria or, like, oh, uh, anything. Oh, no good, no good. just irritated lungs. Yeah, exactly. So I have to stop smoking, which is fucking terrible because I love marijuana. 
Um, so I was like, fuck, I guess I got to do edibles, which I've done before, but like only as like, oh, somebody's giving me something for free at a show or whatever. Right. I've been doing them for three weeks now, almost exclusively. And you, you're right. It's a totally different experience. And I've done a lot of acid, mushrooms, mescaline, peyote, like a bunch of different stuff. I don't really get visuals. All right. I haven't gotten visuals on edibles, but you start to get like the trails a little bit, mm. I guess you can say. So it does feel a little bit like um, a different kind of experience, I guess. So I'm willing to concede to somebody who knows more because I'm only three weeks into this. Okay. Oh, the first three weeks of ever doing edibles, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like, yeah. Even if you're not getting visuals, sometimes the whole world around you is exactly the same, but your perspective has changed so much that... I mean, one time I thought a ceiling fan was the most hilarious thing ever. (laughs) Like, I could not imagine why something so funny existed. And of course, I I also knew that I was under the influence of something, but it was so hilarious. Isn't it funny how when you're a kid, you think drugs make you just see like, like, Bugs mm-hmm. Bunny, like a, a whole hallucination, like the yeah, way it's yeah. depicted in movies and stuff. And then the what reality of is it a, is like yeah. this philosophical perception thing where you're like, it's like describing a dream. You're like, no, it was a fire hydrant, but it was also <laughs> blended into the background somehow. And like my eyes weren't working the way they normally do or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, when I was a kid, I was told that um, psychedelics would make you like think you're Superman and jump off a roof. Right? Did you guys ever hear that? That it make you think you could fly and then you would jump off a roof? And I think die. one guy did that and then it ruined it for Exactly. Everybody. And then everybody was like, oh, that's what happens when you fucking trip. But you're right about the perspective thing because what I did in the last three weeks is I went to Puerto Rico. And now that you mentioned that, um, I actually like left Miami because of the weather, mainly. <laughs> like... Everybody, when I moved to New York, people would be like, where'd you move from? And I'd be like, Miami. Every single New Yorker is like, why would you leave Miami to come to New York City? It's disgusting. <laughs> like, why would you do <laughs> And people just don't understand that having my complexion and my hair in that city is horrifying. Like, I just turn red like a tomato. My hair frizzes up. <laughs> it's like you feel heavy. The humidity is horrifying. And I lived there for like 10 or 12, 15 years. I don't know. It was terrible. And I just felt constantly miserable and oppressed and like horrible and i didn't want to go outside and then when i came to new york for the first time i was like oh my god look i have nice hair <laughs> like i was like oh look at this is perfect i love this place like i can walk around this is great and then i went on vacation to puerto rico this last week full of edibles right popping them as i'm like doing tourist shit walking around and just being like oh, another gummy thank you Totally red as a tomato, frizzy hair, sweating like a fucking like waterfall. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> like, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I know that it seems like I don't belong here, but I can totally adapt to this pace. Like, this is great. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, tomato had, frizz is in. Yeah, it had such a vacation vibe and such a like. Was it um, just because you had like it wasn't normal? Like it was like the grass is always greener. Um, And because it was like. I'm not trapped there. It was by choice. I purposely came to experience something different. Like I had this different point of view of like, I'm here to experience another place and whatever that means for food and weather and people and problems I can live with, you know, and like figure it out. So I didn't get fucking furious. (laughs) Like I was in Miami. I didn't turn into a goth immediately (laughs) and like curse existence yeah it was really great so maybe it was because no being a goth is all about feeling trapped that's why it's like kids in the suburbs and stuff exactly hilarious because their life is fine but they're mad that they can't leave or whatever because they live with their 
family. Well, let me introduce you to the concept of the tropical goth, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, what somebody, uh, my lover, <laughs> labeled me as, which is like... I love that you're still using lover. Thank yeah. you. I'm really trying to push it. I oh. think I've gotten my lover to be comfortable with it. I'm going to get more lovers to be comfortable with it eventually. Stop saying it. No, you're going to love it. I'm kidding. We're going to love <laughs> it. No, I'm not going to love it at all. I'm yeah, not one of are. those people. <laughs> I still use girlfriend even to the wokest of friends like just because i want that soda shop visual in their head you know what though i support that if you like it you've thought about it and you're into it and your partner is into it great i think that's beautiful it should be whatever you agree on exactly exactly yeah. i'm just mad that all of you don't like what I, we've agreed on <laughs> We're okay <just> lover. <laughs> wait hold on okay first go back to tropical goth and then after that oh. i'm gonna like start the show proper because we got okay exactly exactly i just want you to be aware that a tropical goth is specifically like the way you just said that they're like from suburbs and like nothing is actually wrong but they just feel like oppressed and trapped yeah that's literally what i just said to you about the weather like miami was a place where it's like Hot chicks and bikinis and dudes in cars with um like rims on their wheels and everybody's just like showing off their pecs and all this stuff. And if you're just miserable in that weather, you just become a goth. And then you just have like dripping cut like makeup and black <laughs> hair dye that doesn't work and makes you hotter and you're all dressed in black. So then you end up being like, No, well, I guess I gotta wear like lime green, <laughs> right? And like other <laughs> colors. Yeah. So you become a raver sort of, but inside you're a goth. That okay. is a tropical goth. Is this a known term, or did you coin the term from observing it yourself? Her lover I've coined, did. I coined the term, <laughs> well, I defined it once it was applied to me. Okay. Oh, okay. So I think he was onto it. I should give him the credit. He, I guess he came up with it, but... I, I love that I the fleshed, mascara runs, like, just organically. You don't yeah. even have to put on the... You don't have to cry. You don't have to do the yeah. little drips. It's the, the sun will take care of that. No worries. Can you be a goth if you live in a place that is oppressive and isn't, like, a juxtaposition like this? Like, if you're from, like, Russia or some shit? That's or, what I was going to say. I don't think they have goths. They have, like, tech pe techno people. They it? shoot them, don't they? Or no, they have techno <laughs> people. They just line them up and shoot them by the barbed wire fence. Maybe the, yeah. maybe the opposite happens. Maybe if you, if you live in a place that uh, is horrible you express yourself by becoming like a weird that, that techno stuff is very positive and like yeah happy and like you all know, you're just taking Bright. molly yeah. and you're like remember that guy who was like and shout out to george floyd's family and all that shit <laughs> oh that was so good i forgot that <laughs> yeah yeah so i think maybe they're like futurists they end up being futurists right like having hope for a future uh, kind of shit okay. kind of sound and kind of aesthetic yeah and like the people that are trapped in like perfect little worlds quote unquote perfect are like hoping for death <laughs> i don't know like what is that i don't know i don't know yeah. okay i have to so, bang my gavel and start the show actually okay, where go. i wanted to okay. start it before we get because i'm already drunk this is gonna go off in a million directions by <laughs> ramin nazer comedian friend of mine welcome to the show uh for those of you that don't know ramin is uh a very funny comedian that I knew in Austin, Texas. And back then, I think the reason I wanted to talk to you is because um, back in Austin, you were most famously a comedian who was kind of like a like an absurdist, like one-liner Yeah, did guy. the Louis C.K. route, right? Without <laughs> the jerking off in front of people. <laughs> yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> or so we think. Um, no, but you were like a, a concise joke teller. And I feel like since we both, you know, took plunges in different directions i moved to new york and you moved to la i've been keeping up with you and i listen to your podcast and stuff and i'm very interested on how in how you became like a 
like you're into like mysticism and stuff. It seems like you're into like Terrence yeah, McKenna, weird, Joseph right? Campbell, and stuff like that, right? So, like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, was... yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that how when we were in Austin together and we we're what in our early 20s at the time, and we didn't really have identities, and now we've kind of grown these identities that were not merely these identities, but like your identity is like socialism, communism, and comedy, and then I like go the mystic route but we're not merely these things we just kind of it, it interests us and we see everything through that lens yeah and um yeah i yeah, mean i, I definitely see a mirror right. of myself in you and that like all that stuff that was just raw when we were just new at comedy we're like trying to use the the medium of comedy to figure out the world suddenly like there's a lens that appeals to you and you go okay i'm gonna like look at it through this thing and and that just follow that path for a while as it it makes things sort of illuminated to me. And for me, that's just a materialistic sociological stuff really popped out to me. But like, I want to know about how, like, your journey, man, like how that happened. Like wh what about the, you know, the inner world like made this stuff overlap with comedy to you? I think it happened gradually as a result of moving to, I mean, I was always interested in, you know, McKenna stuff, bright colors, trippy visuals and stuff before any psychedelics were introduced. But I think as far as the the career side of it, like how we have to like, we can never just say my career, we have to inflect it with a little bit of sarcasm, like my career, my <laughs> brand, just so you know that I'm not taking it seriously. Take it but seriously, but not too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh just moving out here, you kind of have this realization that what got you ahead in the town you moved from won't necessarily get you ahead here. And also, it's not about getting ahead. You kind of learn that I've made it to these other little mountaintops. And then you kind of imagine yourself going like, well, what do I want to do? Do I just want to get an hour special? Do I want to be the best comic at the comedy store and try to win their version of FPIA through <laughs> roast battles or stuff? And then you go to the comedy store once and you're like, I just... I can't go to this building. I don't I don't care about this building. I don't care about the last factory. I don't care about I don't care about the alt scene that much, but that's a better fit for what I do. And so I found myself doing less stand up and kind of gravitating more towards uh the visual art thing because I could do it on my own time and it was like a tangible, you know, thing what you could uh like you could work for months and not have a good joke, but this I I knew it was a solid thing. I don't know. I'm trying to. No, no, in retrospect, cool. it was yeah. never a conscious decision, but that just kind of became where my interest was more. The same way that I I used to be way more into music, and then I switched to comedy, and then comedy kind of felt. I think we all feel it a little bit, don't we? Didn't Luis say like. Like you're giving it one more shot and then you're leaving comedy forever, but you also might come Ooh, back because whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell Bo me Burnham I can't. did that too. Didn't yeah. get, Nanette did it too. Nanette retired and then, Oh, I'm back with another special. And then yeah. Bo Burnham's like, Oh, I was just being meta about quitting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So no one cares if you quit or you come back. And I never quit stand up. But I just stopped. Uh, it stopped being my main focus. Well, that's like yeah. a layer of the onion that you get to eventually is realizing that, like, it's not really a linear path. And, like, the thing that you're describing with, like, FPIA, for anyone who doesn't know, me and Ramina from Austin, and there was a in town yeah, one FPIA? club that had the funniest person in Austin contest. Oh, and it's, right, right, right. It's so funny to think about at this point in my life because for, like, 
I don't know, like six years a span or something like that. It was the biggest fucking deal. And like this thing that you thought your entire life was going to be made off of. And all there were all these like inner, you know, dramatic like politics and arguments and stuff in the scene and shit. And I sometimes I think about that. And I'm like, I don't even like it's it seems like a it seems like a dream. Like it doesn't didn't even happen. And yet it's bananas. At that point in my life it was like so huge. And when, uh, when you're talking about these like mountaintops you get to when you move to like New York or LA or whatever and you you just start to realize like um that maybe the the linear path of comedy isn't for you. Also it doesn't make any sense. Like I think that that's that's the wall that like Nanette and, and fucking Bo Burnham and all of us are hitting where, where we're just like, oh, we were trapped in a paradigm that, you know, maybe was based historically off of us looking at other people's careers and them sort of like having successes in a way that aren't really panning out. And it's causing us to look at all this and go, well, what do I do? Do I quit? Is there quitting? Could you even quit? If you were like to say, I quit comedy, does that mean that you are not allowed to like start again in a year if you decide what to undo What is quitting? That? <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I tell you? So like, oh, man, so much to say because just this conversation reminds me immediately like why I love comics so much. Like I know a bunch of you are assholes, honestly, but like <laughs> it genuinely is because I think that this is what we share is this like I am now realizing like, dude, I'm a late bloomer. Right. And I feel like a lot of comics maybe or all right, where to start? Okay. A lot of what you were saying reminded me of like relationship escalator shit, right? Where you're saying What's like, you, oh, so the relationship escalator is like the, a way of framing the concept of how most traditional people conceive of the way relationships should go, which is you go on a date and then there's quote unquote the basis, right? Those are the next steps of how oh, you can like marriage, get, kids. Yeah. Okay. And then exactly. And then moving in and then fi fiance and then marriage and the kid, all that stuff. It's called uh, the top floor is death. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, I guess so. Right. Yeah. And so if you've ever had a partner who has wants to have the conversation with you of where is this going? they have internalized the relationship escalator, right? right. Mm -hmm. And I really think that like performers, comedians have internal, a lot of them, or you're being asked to internalize a sort of like career escalator, right? Where you're supposed to like, as you said, uh, um, was like, don't take it too seriously, but pretend that it's serious, but don't, but like be serious, but don't let anybody know that it's serious. And then that moves up to all these steps that you take. And then something happens that I think comics will go through these steps and they get certain things like funniest person in Austin, like new faces, like they got to put in a fucking article of the people to watch, all this shit. And they start to feel like, okay, it's moving up, it's moving up. And then that plateaus because there's mm -hmm. like no other next step immediately. And there is a moment of panic. And I think every comic either pursues that escalator harder or recognizes, I actually didn't get anything <laughs> from these steps. <laughs> and they have nothing to do with how I enjoy or don't enjoy the art that I do. And they separate those two things. And it's almost like a fork in the road that I think artistically and personally people have to come to in terms of like the relationship escalator thing. Because if it's like the dominant um, framework in, with people all around you that you're talking to every day that are your peers, quote unquote, or your partners then there has to be a moment when you're like, oh, I either agree with this and I'm going to go all in with this or this is actually not working out. <laughs> I'm going to go do yeah. another thing. And I think it's crazy to me that I just turned 40 and I 
have only in like the last five to seven years started to feel like a self-realized person who has a very um, strong point of view. And it doesn't mean that I have stopped learning. I actually very much am open to opportunities to learn and change. What were you like before that? Like what was five years ago you before you were enlightened? Not that, you know, enlightened. No. Well, you know what? Um, So I did things kind of backwards for most people, which is that... um, you had kids, then you got married, <laughs> no then kids. you started dating the guy, then you had sex. Sort of, but not the kids part. <laughs> so I was like, you know, uh, first generation American, came here in like third grade, and then I was like an overachiever in school. And I went to college and grad school while in a 10-year monogamous relationship. And so like while all my friends were getting drunk and having fun and finding sex and all this stuff in their 20s, I was like working 50 hours a week, going to school. And then when I had free time, it was all about my relationship and my partner. Right. And then in my 30s, I was suddenly single for the first time and I was finished with grad school and I had a full time job and I was independent and I lived alone for the first time in my life because I also went from like my mom's house to my boyfriend's house, you know, like living together. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So. Then all of a sudden, like at 30, I live alone for the first time ever. I have my own money. I have free time. I pursued comedy as something to watch. I pursued very purposefully um, sex exploration. I started going to um, sex parties and all that stuff. In my 20s, I did a lot. I just imagine a space helmet on you (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, no. Exploration like you're at the the (laughs) party with the space helmet. Yeah. absolutely robotic in the exact same way that i did comedy i did sex world where i was just like hi yeah no i'm here just to take notes nope nope don't want to participate <laughs> like people would be like oh you so you're gonna be a comic yeah you want to be a comic that's what you're gonna be like no no absolutely not i'm just here to watch don't touch me <laughs> like you did anthropology me. at like sex clubs yeah that's so funny it was yeah it was great i mean i did get involved i do eventually pet the monkeys <laughs> you know like <laughs> things happen um but i so i did like you know, a lot of acid in high school and in my 20s, which I would say is what helped me like open up the, my mind to different frameworks. So I went to grad school already having tripped and had experiences that made me question whether the way to do things is the only way to do things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I went to school very much looking for a framework <laughs> that was going to give give those answers to me. And in the way you guys found First music and then art, I mean, then stand up and then visual art, you know, whatever your path was. For me, it was anthropology. So I've had my 30s of like exploration, I guess. And then I just turned 40 and I really feel like my 40s are going to be like amazing sense of solid self. Like I'm no, I'm no longer exploring to find an answer. I am exploring to continue having experiences. Isn't that so great to love that age when it's something you've feared your whole life? Like, you're like, I hope I'm dead before 40. And then you get to 40. You're like, I'm so glad I don't have my 20 year old brain anymore. Absolutely. I love it. And it's really nice because like, not, um, you know what I mean? Like the, the, it's not a search for a solution or comfort or anything like that anymore. I have comfort within me. And now it is about, being continuing to be open to experiences so that I never become like the old people that I don't like who just stop growing and learning and seeing the world and being like mad that things keep changing. There's nothing more depressing than seeing someone who you can tell is stagnated and you can Mm -hmm. tell that they did it like out of fear because it would be too weird for them to 
continue to question things and stuff. So you just sort of like hunker down in this one point of view and then then you're a boomer and you're like, ah, I work harder and all this shit. And like, <laughs> it's just weird because you so many people do it that it seems like an inevitability. But you, mm-hmm. you're you a human being in a body with, like, agency and stuff, and you look at it and you go, no, I think I you actually don't have to do that. But people look at, like, me and you, Louisa, as, like, maniacs for, like, mm-hmm. just even vaguely questioning some of the, like, the you know, invisible fucking paradigms that we live in. Like what? Well, you know what? Like, um, actually... Like reading- listeners or non-listeners? Um, no, actually our listeners, I've never really gotten negative feedback from this podcast except for like the fans of Legion of Skanks that just hate us on principle. We have a certain percentage of listeners yeah. who Why are. Why is that? Did listening. you used to be in that in that group or they always didn't like you because of Twitter? And Legion of Skanks is what's his name? Um Louis Louis J. Gomez, right? Yeah. Big J. Louis <laughs> J. Gomez! Don't forget yeah. the J, bitch! It's Louis yeah, no. J. Gomez and Big J. Okerson and Dave J. Smith. They're all J's. <laughs> They're not nice? I thought Big J was nice. Big J is nice in person, and then, uh, you know. He's mean online. Isn't that weird that people have drastically different personalities <laughs> mm-hmm. online? Why wouldn't yeah. you? It's... Yeah. What, what is online? It's an avatar for you to like. Exactly. Yeah. But look, uh, my my short definitive answer on what this is, is um, Jake made a joke about one of their bad booking decisions years ago. Lewis got super pissed off, turned it into a whole like Jake tried to like incite violence against me and then convinced his co-hosts and all his fan base that that's what Jake tried to do with a joke about a milkshake. Yeah. And that's where we are now. They hate us. Yeah. Yeah. He tried. That's he came in. Nice. And he spit in my eye and tried mm-hmm. to fight me. And he pushed Louisa yeah. into a table. And it was this whole thing. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I like, listen. I told him like, hey, if you can't he take a, a joke, <laughs> if you can't take a joke, lighten up. You know, they're just jokes. This is that was yeah. the, the catchphrase on their fucking podcast. <laughs> but like, it's fucking true. Like, I'm like them. I am like them. I am an edge lord, and I am like, hey, you can make a joke about anything. It's just that you know that. No one ever actually believes that. Turns out you no, can make a joke. No, they can't take it. I was, uh, do you know the story of Morris Day and Prince? And, uh, I mean, I love Prince to death. I bring him up in every conversation, but. Please tell was, me. Yeah, I was going to say, there please explain this, that. So Morris Day and the time, you know, Morris Day and the time from Purple Rain and that 80s, yeah. uh, Minneapolis funk. They were at the top of the game, everything, but, uh, they were starting to show up Prince a little bit and it's his creation, you know, so he's like, I can't let my creation outgrow me. And he would um, stop them from certain dates, like cancel them from the, the schedule and stuff like New York and L.A. It's like, yeah, you're not opening me for me in New York and L.A. Like, we'll keep you in the smaller cities because you're too powerful now. But during the last show, he just uh, pelted them with rotten eggs <laughs> during the show and is like laughing at it backstage. And then they're pissed. And then he's like, oh, that was funny. But y'all can't do that to me, though. And oh, uh, they shit. chained Jesse Johnson to a radiator. It's a whole thing. There's a story on Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tales from the Tour Bus Season 2, the whole funk uh, thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's... No, I haven't, so and I actually, I swear to you, I have on my to-do... I am a nerd who makes to-do lists for, like, my regular life shit, and I literally have on my to-do list listen to more Prince. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to figure out more stuff about Prince. But this is, yeah, no, but I the egg thing like he was like, no, you can't do that to me. And it's kind of like that with a lot of, um, you know, comics like they can yeah. do the thing. But then if the thing gets it's it's the free speech thing and the argument has been drilled in forever. But, you know, it's you have free speech, but you also don't have control over what 
the other speeches happen. And some people want free speech with control over reaction to what they say. Yeah, the thing that bothers me is just the insistence in the first place that it is like that it's like no this is like a universal like rule that i figured out and because uh, it's, it's just it's always fake like every time with these fucking people it turns out if you it, it turns out you will find speech that fucking bothers them so the the idea of that this is like this universal reality or like principle that this person is operating on is always false and it's being used to mask something else like clearly like, I've just seen it fucking happen over and over and over again, and it's, like, silly, you know? Yeah, and the the, the cancel culture, endless circular argument, mm-hmm. and some people have made it their brand to just complain about cancel culture, and I'm worried now that I'm becoming a, a brand that's just constantly making fun of people. <laughs> cancel culture. You, it seems like it's like an stop. onion. Like, you can't escape from it. It's just layers and layers yeah. and layers. Like, I th- that's what I'm doing. Like I mean, it's so much of my fucking time spent online is why I like, get onto Twitter to promote shows and shit. And the intro of the show, you, uh, as much as I as much as I <laughs> hate fighting with no, what's it? As much as I like to fight with everyone, I'm actually having a pretty good time. <laughs> <laughs> I love to argue. Well, it's you know fun, I mean, honestly, I do have fun doing it, but it is a waste of time. Which is what I was saying when I said that. Which is that, like, it doesn't matter. Like on some level, you know. You're a you're a you're a can't you're an anti cancel culture person, right? You're a fucking person who's made your entire identity reactionary to another fucking thing that you've perceived, which is stupid. On some level, making fun of those people, you're like a reactionary to reactionaries. Even yeah, if yep. that's a right place to be, like you're making your entire point of it's view. It's like being an atheist. Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. Like yeah. uh, the yeah. thing I'm trying to pull my fucking head out of at all times is like it literally just doesn't matter. Like you could be reading a book or something or like enjoying a movie or something when whenever the fuck I log on and then, you know, Legion of Skanks comes up or whatever, or someone's like, eh, fuck you. It just doesn't fucking matter, you know? But, uh, yeah. I'm just like that. But, but you know what, though? Okay. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be the, the fucking pedophile's lawyer here and be like, okay. The what? Uh, the pedophile's lawyer? Lawyer. The pedophile's oh, lawyer. pedophile lawyer. Oh, okay. yeah, That is a very like, interesting way of saying devil's advocate. Yeah, it's an <laughs> updated way of saying it. I, st- I got that from Keith Malley. I stole it from Keith Malley. Please oh, that's funny. look him up. Yeah, it's okay. uh, the joke of his that I like. I want <laughs> Homer, Homer Simpson to play pedophile's lawyer, like in the pinball machine. Yeah, Marge, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. play pedophile lawyer. <laughs> yeah, but so something happened this week that actually is cancel culture relative and, or related and bothered me, which is it's I now have the second example of an, a comic really suffering real life consequences for something they did not deserve and then thereby providing an, an excuse for all the cancel culture people to like point and be like, see, it's real. But they're like equating themselves getting yelled at for a rape joke with a woman in both equa- in both fucking situations, a non-white woman even being held accountable for literally just doing their job or doing a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was uh, Dina Hashem, which I've brought up before, but uh, I mean, she was a uh, rape existential joke. No, yes, the, yes, exactly. The XXX Tension or whatever. Yeah, the one. Yeah. <laughs> she actually got doxxed and all this stuff for an actual joke that was told on the stage of, at a comedy club and shown on a comedy channel on TV. <laughs> you know? This is a different one than the rape one? Yes. And then now we, this week, we had um, Kanice Mobley was fired from WWE as a writer because on a podcast, 
way before she was a WWE writer, she talked about how she didn't know shit about wrestling. And then now it like somebody surfaced the clip, I guess, of her talking about how she didn't know shit about wrestling. And all the fucking fans were like, oh, how could they hire a fucking person, whatever, that doesn't know anything about wrestling? And then all the people that know about wrestling were like, that's what WWE does is hire people who are not in the wrestling world. So they'll bring fresh ideas. Yeah. What about Bill Burr, too? Bill Burr did Mandalorian and he hates Star Wars. (laughs) Exactly. See, (laughs) And they fucking. So then like WWE fired her because of like all the backlash, I guess, or whatever the fuck. And it's so stupid because it seems like, you know, these are two examples where it was unfair, I guess. I don't know how to say it. Of Like, it's a real cancel culture example, right, <laughs> of for what happened to Dina and what happened to Kenise. And then there's these fucking whole bunch of assholes that say horrible, horrible, horrible things. And then they get held accountable for it. And they're like, I'm just like Dina and Kenise, man. I'm getting canceled. <laughs> and it's right. like, that's not the same thing. And so, like, when I say cancel culture is not real... I'm being disingenuous because it is real, but it it never falls on fucking white men. It never falls on anybody in privilege. It only falls on the people that fucking this kind of shit always falls on. You know what That's I mean? That's why slogans suck, like, because that becomes a slogan, like, whether, <laughs> yeah. you know, council culture isn't real, like, I will never write that or say that because yeah. then it's like, what about these? So it's like, yeah. you just have to just keep talking long form without making a slogan. And then exactly. well, my point it's, of view is so complex that you'll just, you have to wait for me to finish before I, mm-hmm. you can get mad at me. I say it sometimes <laughs> because it's reductive and I think it's funny to be yeah. a dumbass and piss people off. But like, I in, agree. in, in all honesty, it's a it's a broad stroke because, you know, cancel culture, I mean, what the fuck that means, but on some level, you can define it as something that is real. And I think what's more important when looking at something like Kenise Mobley in the WWE versus like Shane Gillis and Saturday Night Live is both of those things really happened. But what's interesting about them is that the reaction to them is framed in a certain way, depending on who it happened to. So I think what's interesting with with like when conservative people get canceled, they blame everyone in America. And the when <laughs> those of us that understand like labor and class politics, yeah. when some one of our people gets canceled, we blame the person that fired them because uh, to us, like we know yeah. that the WWE actually has a choice in whether they hire or fire you. But people that worship capitalism look at that and go, well, you can't possibly blame the company because the company has to make money. So it must be the the agency here is on whether or not we narc on our friends when they get hired mm-hmm. or whatever, or whether or not we like collectively uh, criticize them or and so on and so forth. But that's crazy because that is not a thing that you have control over. There are like billions of people on earth. There are millions of people that are involved in these like Twitter, you know, controversies yeah. and stuff like that. It's an inevitability that like no matter everything that possibly can be dissected about a person getting a job and hiring and all that shit is going to happen. So to the, the argument that is like, no, 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 it's your fault. You need to shut up. We all need to shut up. We all know that so-and-so fucking punched a woman one time or whatever, mm-hmm. but they got a job, so we all need to shut up, right? Inevitably yeah. not going to happen. It is an inevitability that somebody's going to come out and say, hey, that guy fucking punched a woman, right? Or, like, whatever. Um, but to put the onus on that, it's, it's, like, absurd compared to, you know, I mean, just look at the fucking situation. Even with, like, Shane Gillis and the fucking SNL thing, I could see being mad about that and being like, I like him and SNL sucks. SNL does suck. Like, it would have been fine if he was on the show. The point being made by people from the left about that sort of thing is 
Isn't it fucked up that SNL fired him? It's yeah. not fucking cancel culture. It's good. Lauren Michaels, he, or is that his name? Lauren, uh, yeah. yeah, he 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 made the decision, you know? Mm-hmm. But those, the people on the right were just like, oh, it's all these snowflakes in America <laughs> that did this. Well, it's just fascinating it's because they, they assume that, like, you couldn't even fathom the idea of blaming the boss or the company that yeah. fired a person because... Everybody identifies with the boss. No? Right, because you go, yeah. it's like when the cops shoot someone. embarrassed millionaire. There you mm-hmm. go. That's right. Yep. Someone listened to my Duncan Trussell episode. That's one episode. of the best, yeah, that's one of the best uh, <laughs> takeaways from, I mean, I forget who the quote is even from. Steinbeck. From the, the DTF uh, J-Flow episode. <laughs> it's Steinbeck, John Steinbeck. Oh, Steinbeck wrote that? Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like it's like when somebody gets shot by the cops and you can immediately divide up the entire discourse between who identifies with the cop and who identifies with the person who got shot. And usually that's pretty clearly along like color lines and stuff like that. But not always. Sometimes it's a like class shit. There's a lot of people that aspire to be white, even though they aren't or whatever. But like, you know, the feeling immediately, I think when something like that happens is like, well, I couldn't possibly blame the person who is in charge of things. Cause how embarrassing would that feel to be a cop who shot somebody or to be like, Saturday Night Live to be like a, an employer and have to deal with this situation as opposed to being like everyone else or the person. I don't know. Yeah. And how do we, how do you message that to where it like gets the most people without turning them off? Um, cause you can't, you can't write a big, I mean, what am I trying to say here? It, it feels like that, that point of view is going to exist in people regardless. They're already coming into it identifying with the cops because maybe their brother is a cop or, yeah, but I just think the thing with the Kalise Mobley, you know, being fired by the WWE, like the thing that's that was recently, that, right? It was like this week. The thing this that's kind of yeah. interesting about it is that, like, to me, I've, I've sat down and I've thought this through and I've gamed it out and I've looked at it like in every way, framing possibly or whatever. And like, the reason that this is such a circular argument and that you'll never get to the bottom of it is because really logistically, to get to the end of it, you have to understand that what you are arguing about is the entire system that we live in capitalism, like the entire fucking thing. Cancel culture is bad, but it's not bad because it's a phenomenon, like a psychic virus that got out of control that you need to go around and sort of brainwash people out of. It's bad because it creates a precarity in like jobs that we're all trying to get that. Because it makes your labor, um, it like worth less than the perception of the employer as to whether or not you are profitable to employ. Yeah, you're watching people literally like work their entire lives and get jobs and then just have a person above them look at a bunch of graphs and go, actually, you're going to lose this money. I'm going to fucking chop your head off and then you fuck (laughs) off. You're done or whatever. And if you're mad about that, the the key like thing here, the key thing is like really psychological, I think to me is like, who are you mad at? Are you mad at the person that yeah. did it? Are you mad at the audience that motivated the person to do it? Or are you mad at, like, maybe the entire fucking Matrix numbers that are, like, the DNA that created this entire situation? And I think in order to... Nobody really gets there because, you know, the capitalist realism. Like, in order to understand... Mm-hmm. To, to, it, it would be easier to... What is it? The Mark Fisher quote. It would be easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Like, most people just can't mm-hmm. see it like that. Like... And that's that's why it's important to, you know. And is that because, I mean, I don't know the answer. It's just kind of a rhetorical question, I guess. But is that because it's too big to be stopped and we're too small and feeble and they're they're 
armed forces are are too advanced for us to take up our little pitchforks and overthrow it or is it like ingrained in us perm like not permanently but it's something that it's our our default market is capitalist when we're not thinking about it and we have to like actively impose something else no i i don't think so i mean i'll let you answer your version jake but uh, to me i would say it's like i would even change the quote to it's it's easier to imagine the, the end of the world than it is to imagine all of us working together like it literally, it's easy to imagine the end of the world that's like yeah <laughs> but we just all doubt like literally uh you know if you watch game shows like man i watch a challenge like all these things people it always comes down to this idea of whether or not you believe that other people are essentially bad or are essentially good and every single person has this like doubt that the other person will do their part. And so they're like, well, then I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know, and then they just like, don't commit and they don't. If I didn't go to college, why should they have yeah, their debt you, repaid? Did, and everybody that believes that has to have a Southern accent too. Yeah. Did you guys see um, that this week Newsom, California dude, was like, he's going to, you know, uh, California has like a huge like $2 billion surplus or some shit. Yeah. So he's going to use some of that money to <clears throat> pay people's like back pay of rent. I saw like that. Back yeah. rent. And, you know, like he promised he's going to like do it so that everybody who owes rent for the last like year or whatever is going to get paid or that the it's not even the people. It's the landlord getting paid. You know right. what I mean? So all it does is like wipe back pay a, a, a non-existent debt. Exactly. It wipes a non-existent debt to, fr from the fucking person renting from you and just gives money for a house that would have existed anyway. Like it's fucking stupid. But anyway, he, he was like, yeah, okay. So then there was a tweet that was announcing, you know, his new plan. All of the replies below it were people straight up being like, oh, well, that's just great. So those of us who paid our rent for the last year, we just get <laughs> fucked. We just get screwed. And there was this like one guy that I saw just wrote back to one of these guys and he was like, yeah, man, I totally get what you're saying. Every time the free food bank doesn't give me a can of beans, I feel like I, they're fucking screwing me. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, exactly. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you have this mentality of like, nobody should need help or get help or just because I didn't get help. Good for you. You didn't need help. Like, I think ultimately that's our problem, and that's why this stupid fucking argument of whether human made nature is essentially good or bad keeps going throughout time, is because our behavior very much like points to like we're so bad, but if we're not. We really like there is no well, biological or scientific evidence for us being bad. Yeah, Kropotkin, it only, man. It is only our social narratives that keep driving into our head that we have to be like that's right individualistic and because those narratives benefit capitalism. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the hard thing, I think, that um, we're just never, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say never. I want to believe, but. Maybe like in, in our lifetimes is optimistic, but never, I mean, it's a crazy universe out there. Like there could be, there could be harmonious planets of other beings that could never fathom what we have going on. And then there could also be even worse spider planets where we're like, oh, we're so glad we have this capitalism thing where we just have to work all the time. I'm just glad I'm not going to eat my spider yeah. planet because that place sucks. <laughs> but have you, I've, I read, I reread uh, Sapiens recently. So I like, I, I, I see I everything through that lens. Listen to your episode where you did the impression of the guy. It was very oh, funny. Okay. So you, you know, the, you know, the rap. I know, I know about but, chimpanzees. Uh, chimpanzee. <laughs> the the takeaway from it is or the main takeaway i had from it was that um humans were not were, were only like 
just recently at the top of the food chain. So we have this ingrained <clears throat> neuroticism about not having enough resources where all the greed is kind of tied into that. And we have bad backs because we're not supposed to be walking on uh, two. That's, that's on two. Yeah. We're supposed to be on four. But uh, before we used to be the you know bottom feeder. Like it used to be the lion got to eat first. Mm-hmm. Then the hyena got to eat the scraps afterwards. Then the crows got to pick at the bones. And then we got to eat the bone marrow. And that's for millions of years in this body. Like the same physiology that we have now and then just in the last few hundred thousand years or something it was uh different so we just have this ingrained our default is to be more greedy than we should be i guess yeah it's almost like the evolution that jumped forward with like homo erectus like man standing up or whatever it's like um you ever think about how um we have too much technology and it's like thrown us (laughs) into a situation where we are catching up with like like we were evolved to a certain extent and then when you look on like twitter or like tiktok or whatever and you see like plane crashes and people getting their heads cut off and stuff like that it's like oh no, no, no this is unnatural this is like too much or whatever but there's almost like a, that almost happened maybe arguably through the sapiens argument of like that happened in our evolution like we're still grappling with being a beast that is also social and those two aspects of the human being are just in conflict with each other and it's not one or the other which is why you have this whole thing where it's like yeah we're kind of bonobos and we're kind of like baboons at the same time and like there's nothing nothing you could do about it all right you know what as the anthropologist i'm gonna have to disagree with both of you right now okay oh slam dunk on us yeah i'm gonna have to i'm so sorry but let's go backwards number one I disagree with we are beasts, but we're still social because actually the only reason that we are apex predators is because we are social. Okay? Cooperation. Yes. Because we're the only... yes, as, yes, as Ramin pointed out, we were fucking stupid hairless apes, right? That didn't even have like, if you think about this very basic thing, look, every other ape that has hair all over their body, it meant that they're young can hold on to their bodies by hanging on to their hair while they go around and pick fruits and defend from other animals and do all these things. That would be we so annoying. We could not do that. So that's why we had to stand up straight was because we needed to hold our fucking baby because it couldn't hang on to us anymore because we don't have fucking hair. So then we're like hairless and stupid and walking on our bad backs and our bad knees holding our stupid babies. And then... The only, like, literally the only way we could survive is to go to another stupid hairless ape and be like, Hey, will you watch my baby <laughs> while I get us both food? And so you had to figure out language from the very fact of having to need help and having to cooperate with each other. Um, you had to, like, that's why matriarchal organization was definitely the first form of organization for humans is because it had to be based around the need to protect your young. Otherwise, like, all the males were off being like, oh, my God, I will just have to go eat some bone marrow and survive and, like, fuck something. <laughs> you know, like, that's all they did. But the females, which were stuck with young that they had to stand up straight and hold, were the ones who then had to develop tools, develop society, develop language. Not to be an uber feminist on you guys, but I 100% believe that women started off it, right? How did we win? Or you're going to get to that. Well, the only reason that we won is through... Or men, you mean? Yeah, how did men How did Agri- men reverse the pi- power dynamic? Yeah, we talked about this agriculture. Yeah, yeah, it was agriculture. Because before that, while we were nomads, then the organization that benefited everyone, including males, was to be part of a large group that constantly moved and had designated roles that were formed around protecting the group. And then once we started doing agriculture, which was tilling the land and then like 
So once you put work into the land, number one, that's when we started developing ideas of property because like now I put in all my work to this little space so it, now it belongs to me. The way Engels argued it, mm-hmm. I, I, all of this is conjecture yeah. or whatever, is that um, with a matriarchy, which is what we first started with, the reason we started with a matriarchy is because you know who your mom is like you came out of her body but you don't know who Mm. your dad is especially when you don't have like systems of families and stuff like that everyone's communally just free styling and having sex with everyone or whatever and but uh that switched when property became a thing when agriculture became a thing because um the man was the one doing fucking all this physical work and stuff like that yeah we needed your fucking muscles so he decided well i want to have the bloodlines run through my family which is in opposition to this matriarchal thing. So then all of a sudden it's, we have also- it's connected to land ownership too, right? Yeah. Because then if you're the one tilling the land, then you decide you own this land. So now you become a desirable mate because you own land and can provide crops and all of this stuff to your family. So it's like a gradual changeover where some people chose to leave. Like the reason we still have uh, Romani, right? Gypsies is because they're a remaining version of the nomad, right? Because all the rest of us chose to settle. But before that, it was like the majority of humans were nomads. And then they were just like these weirdos. They were like, I'm going to build a fence and not move here, not move from here ever. And now I started a country or whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we got feudalism and then et cetera, et cetera. Right. And eventually uh, technology and capitalism. But this is what brings me to what Ramin was saying and what I want to disagree with there, which is like the scarcity mentality thing. And I am going to veer into possibly a slightly racist take. All right. But Do everybody, it. <laughs> everybody yes. please, out. We'll bleep yeah. out anything. Yes. You know, here's the thing. Uh, you have to understand anthropology is about generalizations, but I'm going to be very specific in the way that I'm going to generalize here, which is um, the problem with that, uh, like, d- uh, debate about whether humans are essentially good or bad is that it's often defined by this scarcity mentality thing, right? It's often framed as all humans naturally think of how to survive and therefore they'll do whatever they can to survive, which could be horrible, horrible things, right? And in reality, that is not a behavior that was evidenced in all humans across the globe at all time, okay? So let me delicately explain (laughs) that um, people from the tropics and from, like, so across the entire tropic, between the Tropic of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer, around the entire world. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) You're going to get at him. Um, Those people, naturally, so that includes all the brown people. <laughs> okay. We did they, the bad thing or we did the no, good thing? No, we did the good thing, which is... Oh, thank goodness. Uh, but, but listen, <laughs> it's, it's I don't because, have to vote anymore. No, no, no. Yeah, you're <laughs> fine. It's because of our environment, right? So we existed in a world of plenty. So all of the cultures that came from the tropics and a few degrees off, so like down to Egypt and up to like Morocco, um, yeah, you know, like different, uh, some parts of Asia, right? India, there's a culture that is about generosity and surplus right where if you go to many of these cultures even today it's no matter how poor the household that you're visiting is it's about overfeeding you it's about what else do you want because we came from cultures that had plenty of fish and plenty of things growing and we didn't have fucking animals (laughs) trying to kill us in our caves you know like we're like we lived in lands of plenty so if you look at the religious customs, the um, just general social rituals, right. they are about sharing. They're about gift exchange. They're about supporting each other. Literally, you hear all the histories of like 
the fucking Mayans and the Incas welcoming the Europeans because they're literally like, oh, hi, stranger, come sit yeah. at our table. <laughs> you know, like, we'll share food with you. And what happened? These fucking white people, this is where I get rude. <laughs> they, uh, the people from the cold parts of the Right, of the what was happening up north where there exactly. was scarcity? The white there was walkers. scarcity. Yes, yeah. exactly. There was scarcity. That's where what that shows about. They, they actually <laughs> lived in a world of survival of the fittest is based on what are you willing to do to survive. And therefore, atomizing yourself into groups and thinking of everyone who is not in your group as an enemy and fighting over resources and wanting to dominate others in order to gain control of resources. That scarcity mentality is something that came out of their culture up north because yeah. of the, the way that they lived. And because then through colonialism, they went out and imposed this culture on the rest of us because we literally were like, oh, sure, come on, I'll give you some mangoes, right. whatever you need, man. They destroyed all these fucking cultures of plenty and cultures of overflow right? Did they have better weapons because of their situation like we would have less need for i'm saying exactly. we all of a sudden like i right. have anything yeah. to do with it i could have more descendants on that side that's, uh, that's like Same why me too. <laughs> when colonizers landed on you know brown fucking you know uh in south america and everything they look at it and they go oh, these people are savages and it's like that's not a savage that's someone who doesn't need anything. They didn't need to make metal shit to kill people with. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you look at, um, like all the South American, like, I, you know, I don't mean to leave out obviously Egyptians, Indians, like there's like a, a bunch of different cultures that achieved a lot. So let me just give an example from South American cultures because I know that more, but there are cultures there that developed, um, agricultural techniques that like, let's say in North America were not figured out by European settlers until hundreds of years later of like creating like steps so that the water naturally irrigates, like all these things that they had technological advances, but they were technological advances centered around continuing the growth of the environment around them right. and continuing the prospering of their culture as a whole. And not no part of that culture was about going out and destroying others and taking their resource, you know, other than like within their own little feudalisms, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now white culture, this is when we say like white supremacy is the dominant culture. Believing that scarcity is the natural human mentality is a result of white supremacy. They, <laughs> and it sounds so racist, but I'm like, they come from a world of having that mentality. And somehow because they've taken over the world, a lot of us have internalized the idea that like that's the only way we can survive. Well, they projected the it onto science, and they. And yeah. What I mean by that is not necessarily that it isn't true that there are parts of our genetic history where we operate around scarcity. It's just that they selectively choose to publish those findings in support of an yep. overall ideology about what's going on within us, and it's an unfinished exactly. picture. And it honestly, seems to me like a lot of, in a lot of ways, a human being is like. We just, there's more. There's all sorts of stuff in there. There's a chimpanzee and a bonobo or whatever. I also wanted oh, to yeah. say, my friend, uh, Andy Gitlitz from the Antifada wrote a really good book about Jay Posadas, the crazy, uh, mm -hmm. fucking Trotskyist who was into UFOs and stuff. But in the beginning of his book, he draws a really great parallel between, um, the myths in the 1950s of UFOs landing on Earth and, the conquistadors landing in latin america and like the thing you're describing with 
the people going, well, hey, come on in, we had, the water's fine, and then the fucking thing coming out and going, I'm going to fucking kill you or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we escaped our planet having, uh, you know. <laughs> it, it makes me think, let me get racist, too. In <laughs> Thank you. Where... Thank you for not leaving me on this boat alone. <laughs> of course, which it actually endears white people a lot because I can't help but think of the the liberal stance that you would see in, let's say, June of 2020 like you would hear this angle a lot which it's it's a valid angle i'm not saying it's not a valid angle but any um crimes committed by people of of color it's immediately like well they were forced into that situation mm -hmm. having to do that you would be violent too you would like have a knife you would try to rob places if you didn't have anything to eat so they they deserve our sympathy and now you're saying this about the entire north of like mm -hmm. they had scarcity so they're coming here to like they're they're still in that mode so you can't blame them it's the but then again then you don't have free will for anything with that no, line no, but we isn't do, it a weird we circle we do have free will oh, but it is a weird circle yeah because they were the ones that came out of like a, a violence need mm -hmm. to survive a violent need to survive what i'm trying to say is that white people are the original black people <laughs> <laughs> no i think you're right though in that like yeah so that that thing where you where everyone suddenly got kind of woke and read fucking the end of policing and whatever other mm -hmm. books last summer and realized that crime comes from poverty then they projected it specifically on to people of color who are killed by the police that's the right path and I actually think that you should extend that also to white people and everyone, because that is yeah. a true principle of everyone who is encapsulated in the system that we're operating under that is enslaving totally. all of it's us. How you, it's how you realize that like poor and working class white people are actually our or they should be our allies. Well, I'll do you one further yeah. and say that uh, even our oppressors are also brainwashed into being mm -hmm. in the system. So this is why, like, um, today this uh, journalist, Tana Ganeva, got into trouble for, you know, saying, oh, who's going to be a dick about um, George Floyd, or uh, not George Floyd, D Derek Chauvin's mom. Like, the trial yeah. today, D Derek Chauvin, the police officer, killed do? George Floyd. Well, she, she gave him the on George Floyd's mom. <laughs> she... <laughs> Uh, I'll edit that out. That's not good. <laughs> Just bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> she gave a speech and she's... I'm talking she, about different people entirely. <laughs> Derek Chauvin, the officer who killed George Floyd, his mom gave a speech at the trial. It, understandably so. Her son was going to fucking jail for... Of course, she's we all know... Chauvin, regardless. Lot yeah. Not, yeah. not long enough, etc. But, like, her son was going to jail, and I don't even know... What, I didn't watch the speech. I don't know what the fuck she said, but obviously I just, I she gathered, lamented. I gathered that she just basically said that he's innocent, which is what bothered people. Well, that's he, bullshit. He was, like, insisting that he was innocent. He's not innocent, of course not. We yeah. all saw it or whatever. But the fact it's that she was great. lamenting over it, people were saying, mm -hmm. well, I don't care. And it's like... Honestly, this is kind of like where this is weird being from Texas and stuff like that. And I'd be I hate Christianity, and I think that's it's the who said I don't care. I'm sorry, who said that? Um, All the liberals on Twitter, just people on Twitter. Oh, about her or her yeah. thing. super oh, woke okay. people. I don't want to. I don't want to hear from you. You know, if you mm -hmm. if you are lamenting your son, I kind of think that like actually they're also enslaved in the system. It's like how men are also, like, hurt by patriarchy That's and stuff like that. That's what I was like gonna that. say, yeah. Like, did, no, like, this is a fucking teachable moment. It's like a learning moment for all of us to look at, like, the person who, you know, it's not any fault of her own. I mean, even fucking Derek Chauvin, to some extent, on some level, you could draw the microscope in real hard and go, like, what happened in this guy's life that mm -hmm. led him down a fucking path where he, 
he had no idea when he was a teenager at some point he would be like the cop at the fucking center of the trial of the century or whatever. The Hitler of cops so far. <laughs> I mean, who knows in 10 years, but when you're thinking of like, okay, make a cop version of Hitler, like that face has been, you know, reinstated in our heads as as that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm drunkenly trying to draw a huge humanistic point out of this, but like the thing that the tendency that people have to to dehumanize people just because they're even antagonistic to us on like a class level is uh I, I think it's short sighted. Like you're gonna I, win people I, over if you are more humanizing I, of them. I totally agree with you, Jake. And um, I was actually talking. It's funny that you brought up the patriarchy hurting men example as a correlation or an, or whatever and a similar thing because I was gonna bring that up. And then I remembered that I recently had this conversation with a feminist and where I was having something like we were talking about how um patriarchy also makes men bad and whatever and she said to me yeah and we know this but the problem is if you try to talk about this the response is always going to be why are you centering that story at this time though right because it feels like instead of talking about the prime primary victim right you're talking about like the secondary victim who has now become a perpetrator but my problem with that while I think it's correct, right? I think that's like why people have a backlash against wanting to see the nuance behind the perpetrators of shit is that there is no way to solve the actual problem for the quote primary victims without addressing the full picture of the problem, which includes how the system turns people into abusers, right? Like, yeah. if you look at the whole fucking Harvard experiment or whatever. Isn't that whole, debunked? Not that it really... Uh, no, I know, but yeah. people still believe in it and whatever the fuck. But, like, the way... The it's weird because it, it has been debunked, but I think yeah. it's also still true, which is people a really it, weird... Well, it sounds it real. Yeah, no, and it's still a, a dominating narrative in our society. Yeah. But my, my only point about it, whether it's true or not or whatever they did, is that it's always... Um, incomplete everybody who talks about it is talking about it in an incomplete analysis kind of way because it's always focused on like how or why the people pressing the buttons became evil right but there is no consideration of the system as a whole that puts everybody in the position that they're in it's always just framing it as like there are bad people and there are good people and i don't think that that's the reality the reality is we exist you're going after the head of the of the hydra or yeah. whatever it is you know the main head and like you were saying that in the summer it became about race and you're like that's good that you're doing that but you're not killing the head of the hydra that head's yeah. going to grow back in a different form here is the head and you're saying that's the the capitalist system and then i mean this is the question of every podcast right then <laughs> how do you how do you actually transform that and i feel like not all of it, but a lot of it is branding, isn't it? Like, for lack of a better word, like, some people love the brand of communism, the hammer, sickle, whatever, yeah. calling people comrades. Some people are yeah. very turned off by that, but they might love communism if they understood it, like yeah. Jake on Duncan Trussell episode uh, level, rather than just a red background, yellow hammer, sickle, yeah. and then saying a message comrade, like, you're already alienating all these people. So it's like, how do you how do you do the messaging right specifically and be contradictory and move towards it's weird you know because um the dirtbag left thing happened in like 2016 in brooklyn and like a lot of people What's that? 
It was like, um, you know, Chapo Trap House and Town and all this shit. There was this idea of like uh, they were roommates, right? I heard somewhere they were roommates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my mind, Amber Frost and Nick Mullen were roommates. There, this is all this is all like a small group of people that all this shit came out of. But um, the 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 kind of overarching ideology was like um, liberal shit is cringe. So the idea of trying to get people to vote for socialism by being like a harsh megaphone in your hand cringy you know fuck you white man person is like that's not gonna win anyone over so as a cultural project the idea was uh to be the exact opposite of that and to welcome people in and to be uh mean you know to hillary clinton on a level that was then by liberals like uh perceived as sexist even and because it broke some of the rules of politics and polite society to you know just call her a cunt or whatever you know which is like if you're a poor person working at dairy queen for seven dollars an hour i'm sorry it's pretty funny to call hillary clinton a cunt oh, they raised it to seven That's- <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so the idea was um so it's interesting because a lot of people argued this is bad you're turning people off right and you probably were some people were like, oh, I don't want to be part of this if I think it's fucking sexist. Whatever. I don't think yeah. that's that many people. Like, I think if you don't want to make the world <laughs> a better place because of a bad word you heard, you're lying, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, like, I met a couple of comics in recent years who were like, I became a socialist because of that. So, uh, <laughs> but like, I met another a comic friend of mine who was like, he used to be a, like a conservative and he was like no i was won over because of how fucking like like uh, instead of perceiving it as mean he was like oh you guys have balls like i like want the libidinal fuck i want to fight the fight with my fucking friends who are like angry and have a fucking point not all wishy-washy so with like the branding that you're talking about it's complicated because some people really like the hammers and sickles and the red flags and stuff like that and that gets them on board I certainly I think it's cool just because it's a fuck you to everything that we've been indoctrinated with. And, you know, I had a good time with that. On the other hand, that exact same thing turns people off. And there's like no way to square those two circles. Like, no, but there is because Jake, you and I have talked about the fact that like, okay, so Jake and I will say what we think about comedy, for example. And it's shit that we will like simultaneously get DMs from people who are like, oh, my God, you're so brave. It's so amazing that you said this thing that I totally agree with, but I would never publicly like like your tweet saying. <laughs> you know, I'm just like privately saying it. And then there's other people who like write to us and are like, I love you. I follow you on everything. Publicly support us. This <laughs> is what won me over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's clear that like you can't win both both of these sides over in the whole in like the whole way. Right. There are going to be people who gravitate to those who are uh, publicly and outwardly fighting the fight. And there are people who are going to want to take the safe path. And that's why I do believe there has to be things like, you know, like people make fun of DSA, right? But like that has to exist (laughs) so that that way we're like slowly winning over the people who don't want to be hammer and sickle and like whatever. Uh, Even though there's and like there's a bunch of us who are DSA, even though we're hammer and sickle. You know what I mean? There have to be these like halfway measures that unite us kind of thing so that we can move forward. But neither side should be saying to the other, you're doing it too soft or you're doing it too hard. Well, maybe that's how this exists. We we need to understand that it's the same, like we're pushing the the wall in the same direction. So whether you do it nicely through fucking bake sales or you do it through fucking yelling at people and sending snake emojis, (laughs) we're still on the same (laughs) side. You know what I mean? Like. 
Stop well, yelling at us. Maybe the, keep pushing the wall. Maybe the narrative that you need to get away from is that one cancels the other out and that one of them Ooh. is bad for exactly. the movement or whatever because and they're just... they see they're cooperating. Yeah, they're pushing from two different ends. Yeah. And there's no one image or sentence, mm-hmm. of course, which sometimes it becomes about repeating the sentence, but it's an ongoing, ever-expanding onion of of correction and overcorrection exactly. and and fixing it cuz like the you wouldn't have known that what did you say the red red scare Brooklyn red scare dirt bag mm-hmm. dirt bag left oh no the left dirt left bag. bag dirt teenage dirt bag <laughs> the Brooklyn teenage dirt bag wouldn't have you wouldn't have known to correct that or like not even correct but you know yeah. maybe let's let's take this swing the other way yeah yeah and we were I was on third you know third eye drops with Michael uh Philip no we were talking about he he brought up how you know, we had this very religious society and then there was a pushback and then it became very secular with science and then it became another pushback. The new age comes along saying that, like, yep. it's not all about material science. Like, religion was bad, but we need a little bit of crystals and, and yeah. mantras and meditation and yoga. And then it became, well, it's not all about that. That That's toxic positivity. That's uh, spiritual bypassing. You have to, like, actually do stuff. You can't yeah. just meditate and fix the world. So that's where we're at now where it's, like, on religion, totally. science. New age. No, that's toxic positivity. And I'm sure there's going to be more onion layers on top. I of- absolutely agree. I would add another onion layer of like individualism versus collectivism needs to stop being a versus and be an and because mm. Ooh, you can cool. be an individual. Like I have worked very hard to be an individual, but I am now coming to terms with feeling like I need to do more to be part of the collective and to help the collective and contribute to society as farther than just what benefits or grows me and it i've come to the realization that those two are not opposites like you can be a well-rounded well-developed self-realized person and part of that self-realization can include being part of the collective and being active in your community to make things better you came so, full circle because one yeah. time you, you said that you studied anthropology so you could learn about yourself, not about mm-hmm. the world. And now you're like, yeah. oh, I've got the individual thing down. I yeah. And now more. I need to be. Yeah. Now I feel bad that I'm not um, as active and involved as people who I know who are activists and selfless. And, you know, I don't know. We have something to teach each other is where I've come to. I don't think that I took the wrong path. I think that now that I have the time and resources and wherewithal intellectually and psychologically and emotionally, it is my responsibility, even though I don't have children, even though I never will, even though I don't even really believe in the future of humanity. (laughs) I do think that it is my responsibility while I live to figure out a way to contribute to the whole, not just to myself. That's just like, that's good that those are your heroes. Cause you were saying there's other activists that are doing more and you're like kind of envying them. Whereas other yeah. people are just envying follower count or no, I totally only feel bad and only feel jealous of people who I think are really just man fighting a good fight in so many ways that I'm like, I, I should have, like, I feel guilt that I should have been like fighting for immigrants rights and women who have been v- victims of violence and like all this stuff yeah. that I feel like is yeah. my responsibility to or Chappelle. For. Chappelle is a millionaire. Yeah. He could have done anything, but he chose <laughs> to sing. Totally. Fighter show for free, for free. He sang it for free. I a hundred percent am trying to not be Dave Chappelle. Yeah. One hundred percent. I just watched uh the Good Lord Bird, the Showtime show about John. You Brown. liked it, I saw, yeah. I really liked it. I didn't think I was gonna like it last summer. Like I was just kinda like too I just couldn't I couldn't watch it for some reason. But like 
the idea the the going against the fucking momentum that that guy did historically is so cool to me and it, it what you're saying it tracks so hard no yeah. one is going to remember the people from that era like 200 years ago who yeah. cowardly sort of like you know fell in line and supported the system that was like disgusting or whatever but like you can't die a fucking hero in this world you'll be dead it won't fucking matter but it's very cool you know you'll have some sort of lasting legacy on like the zeitgeist or something if you choose to uh you know to make these like tough decisions yeah. yeah as long as the thing is still around but then again doesn't the entropy eat up everything so that's not an argument to not want a legacy if the earth dies but also you shouldn't you shouldn't even want a legacy either okay yeah. i agree with you shouldn't want a legacy but also can i say i think death is a positive mm, okay you know, experiencing it or on other people? No, just knowing that it is an eventuality is a positive. Mm. You know, a deadline. And I, well, I want to encourage people to not even see it as a deadline because that that encourages pressure and stress, right? Over like you only have so much time left. Instead, you should think of it as because you only have one life. Every day, you should try to live it to the happiest version of yourself that you can or the best version of yourself that you can because there is no other opportunity that's not sad that's a great reminder to not waste it you know i don't know maybe it's I weird that it's counterintuitive though. <laughs> yeah isn't it weird that like yeah that like doing not only the right thing morally but also oftentimes the right thing for your own health and longe longevity is feels directly in conflict with what your like libidinal self is telling you yeah. to do at all times this is where i'm like no i think that the human being is like a tragically weird evolved form <laughs> that is half beast half social creature because like what is it to be an animal or to be asleep or something it's like you can just stop like you just it seems like they're on some level we're all approaching this we're, we're trying to achieve a reality through like meditation or whatever, where you can like stop being in this central conflict at all times. <laughs> but I can't, well, like, you just can't. It's always there. People run from it, but it's like always fucking there. So let me give you an ant metaphor, <laughs> which is yes. like, or like bees, right? Bees, um, you know, they exist to work for their bee, right? And have you seen that, like, if a beekeeper, for example, needs to move bees from, like, somewhere that they've infested to they move like, the queen, a hive, right? they move the queen. And then all of them follow the queen because they are following the path that benefits their hive, right? And recently I tweeted something about being an evolutionary dead end on my family tree. And there were people who, like, got upset about it, right, who even were, like, this is not evolutionary appropriate language, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was like, I'm not a fucking biologist. Shut the fuck up. I don't care. My point on it is I am one of the few dead ends on my family tree in the sense that I'm not going to have children, right? But because we are social creatures, Jake and Ramin, I would say that those of us who end up being technically dead end branches on our on our family trees and our societal trees and kin kinship trees, we do still live a life that impacts everyone around us. So we may not be the bee that keeps the colony going by blindly following the queen, 
but we are the bees that sometimes go do some weird shit and then other bees are like hmm maybe I could do that in the future yeah. and we begin to plant ideas of how to live differently which ultimately may not be beneficial to the hive but will lead to greater growth of the type of bees that there could be yeah <laughs> right? well, have you ever seen like Nell yeah. like that movie about like yeah. that feral woman Nell? who's like she grows mm. up in the woods and then she just speaks her own language or whatever it's yeah. interesting because it calls into question like this thing about like what even is a person if you isolate a human being and you let them just grow in nowhere in the middle of nowhere not surrounded by other people is that a person right and i think that like the biological argument that yes that is a person what makes a person is having fingernails and fucking eyebrows and the skull and all this <laughs> stuff is a person is what is behind the argument that like legacy is dependent on your fucking sperm and dna going and procreating but or like, even your artistic success right yeah. but one mm -hmm. uh, the other half of the equation is the collective like lacanian fucking idea of like the register yeah. of information that we all exist in and use and like language is a communal thing you teach it to each other to. no yeah. one is who started it really but it like uses to you know we all use it to communicate with each other money is kind of like that too and shit like that mm -hmm. and like that stuff is not coming out of a human body so like with choosing to not have children but still like doubling over and going i'm gonna co fucking contribute a hundred times over to that part of things you might have more of a legacy than somebody that has some dumb fucking kid and sends them to school in yeah. nebraska or whatever yeah because aren't yeah. you do you ever see like you know it's oh martin luther king had a kid Oh, this guy had a kid. Like, not that they're not doing anything. I'm sure. That <laughs> not really. Or, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's kid, yeah. Martin Luther yeah. King Jr. did a lot. I hear. And yeah. Sure, they have more. But also, I, I think about people that want to continue their lineage with their kid as though it's a project. Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to get to control what that kid is. You think you're going to have, because yeah. it used to be to have more hands on the farm or something, right? Yeah. So you'd have more help, but now it's. There's no farm. They're going to move away from you. You might have a son. It ends up being a girl. And you're like, no, and ends you're up a being a And ends up being a poet because they met Jake. And yeah. they're like, I fucking love being a, <laughs> a fucking troubadour. <laughs> so that's what I do now, dad. Yeah, that's I, the way that it goes. So that's what I mean. Like, we we still have influence and we have our... Or, like, we plant certain seeds. We pollinate certain ideas. And it doesn't even have to be, like, materially represented in anything. It, that, that's a really just, good point. Every parent in history has been disappointed by their children, right? Because they yes. expect their children to grow up to be exactly who they want to be. And it's not. Like, it never is, right? But if we understand yeah, right. the zeitgeist to be, like, half of the equation, what your disappointed dad should just adopt Kid Rock, the guy he actually likes. As, <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is my son, just because I like him or whatever. And then he'll feel fulfilled and stuff. Like, he, you know, perpetuated something. So, like yeah do adopted kids count as the tree i guess it does in in professional like lineages but not yeah. if you took a 23 and me right it wouldn't show you your your adopted dad on it it's weird i know people who are adopted and they have like complexes about that sort of stuff it's it's fucking weird oh. there's a, a comic that i won't name and only people who know this background will know what's funny is you'll do this often and yeah, a lot of the time you always I know, know it right not always but sometimes <laughs> i'm like yes i know who they didn't want to talk the name of but i know where they're talking well, about i don't want to be mean because adoption you know it's like a personal thing nobody wants to be rude but this comic he like basically like his whole persona and everything is like i'm gonna tell or you she. guy 
uh, whatever I said. <laughs> he like is like I'm an Italian dude, right? And so then like his jokes and like everything about him for like a decade was very like Italian guy. It's not Sebastian Maniscalco. His um, kids are real, but pretty close. <laughs> and then. He found out he was actually adopted and he's actually Arab. No. <laughs> and yeah. And then like for a while his material was pretty weird because he was like dealing with like how to fucking Yeah, how to consolidate his identity. <laughs> you know, because it's like that's why I don't look exactly like my oh, it's fucking weird. So it is fucked up because you end up having to like consider the ways in which you're you're connected to two trees, I guess, right? But ultimately, if these are all one tree of humanity, right? You two are the spiritual ones here, but let me let me get all fucking <laughs> woo-woo on you guys. If it's an ultimate tree of humanity, like, we're all just different branches regardless of race and all this shit. So I would say that just in the same way that, like, biracial kids and first-generation kids and the first trans kids and their families and, yeah, that also the people who are adopted... We're examples of these, like, humanity transcends culture and transcends bloodlines even because it's about kinship in the ways of passing on ideas and support and love and, like, society. And that's what I mean, that if you believe that, you don't have to have kids to pass those things on. You can pass those things on through the people who have kids, through the kids who like you, (laughs) even though you're, like, just the weird aunt or whatever the fuck. It's great. We are an evolutionary dead end and yet we we pollinate the well, things that's, around that's, us. i think it's like part of being a, like an artist not to use a fucking yeah. ten dollar word about that or whatever like oh i'm an artist because i'm a comedian or whatever <laughs> it's, but a, like, it's a cul-de-sac right it's yeah. not a dead end it's a cul-de-sac there's it people loops there. back out yeah 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 and i mean like i don't i i don't think i have the fucking existential drive to have a kid because i'm like i have a million 40 year old guys that are emailing me at all times saying i blew their mind <laughs> on a podcast and i'm like i feel like i had a fucking pre- I legacy on the world or whatever that's probably <laughs> satisfying whatever need someone else would need to have to perpet to, to to procreate or to have a statue made of them that says i'm ozymandias or whatever you know king of kings hear me roar what is it <laughs> what does he say look upon my works ye mighty and despair and oh, yes. there, yeah. Yeah, he's so cocky. I love it. Um, I think Foresight. this is a good place to plug Ramin's art. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I know yeah, we had a rambly he's... long episode, but that's what we do in the podcast. No, but this is perfect. And what we should do next time is have Ramin on, and we should all do acid and then talk <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll forget that we're in Zoom. Yeah, and we'll just we'll be, be like, like oh, oh no. touching her face. Let me touch your face. <laughs> Um, yeah, Ramin does wonderful art. It's at RaminNazer.com. R-A-M-I-N-N-A-Z-E-R.com. We'll put it on the description. But I think I'm going to buy the one that's I'm not a slave to any form of any thought. Oh, right on. I'll send you one. What do you want? A shirt or a print? No, I'm going to buy it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to yeah. support you. I love it. I also just want to say, like, I love that one. That is um, my prime directive. <laughs> as you know a- what? 
modern person. I'm going to buy one, too. I think I want to get the death one. I liked it. The death one is good, too. But fucking the I'm not a slave one really hits home for me because it's like my Bruno Latour shit, you know? That yeah. What's that? This. Bruno Latour is my favorite anthropologist. He's like a French dude. And he basically talks about how none of us are modern because we are exactly like pre-modern people. We just put different narratives around the things we do. Like we still get married. With different we, clothes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We still get married. We pray to the same gods. We believe in the same things. We live in the same places. Our parents, like most humans, are just continuing traditionalism. Did you? Did you ever see that uh, series of paintings that? person did during game of thrones where they modernized all the characters so like Jon snow instead of having a sword he's a baseball bat on his shoulder no and like daenerys looks like a fucking bushwick like hipster chick or whatever <laughs> and like yeah. and so on and so forth it's what they would probably be yeah <laughs> yeah but it's like that it's like no it's the same person they're just expressing exactly. it differently i yeah. think about jake sometimes and how you said like your grandfather was like some uh like he's an uh, anarchist revolutionary or something yeah. you've got it in you but you didn't even know you started to get into all the books that you read because you were interested and then later you found out you're like oh shit this is in my i know my lineage. it's an interesting question right is it in the dna or is it in the zeitgeist or is it a coincidence then, i don't fucking know but, mm. but even if they're good narratives this fucking art still applies you should not be a slave to any fucking thought form or behavior even if it seems like it's a good thought form or behavior, it should be critically analyzed and you should only be engaging in it because you consciously chose to engage in it. And that is Latour's point about what being modern is. If you really consider yourself to be modern, you do not blindly pick up the narratives of the past. You mm. interrogate them and you accept them only with a whole clear mind. Yeah. Right? So I love this. This is uh, I'm gonna get a print and put it on my wall. It's, it's a very it's a very like educated way of saying be dumb all the time. <laughs> like I don't and with when you brought up at the beginning of the episode with mysticism and stuff, I try not to. Maybe this is just my laziness too, but like I don't walk around with like this is mysticism, this is astrology, and this is the afterlife, the uh, astral plane. Like all those are still just made up things yeah. that uh, yeah you really can't put your hand on mysticism it's more of a no the reason I, that's not science i guess the reason i like what you're doing a lot is that some people who go into mysticism do speak from a place of authority like that and it quickly turns into something kind of uh toxic and kind of like those are the people that message me who like, <laughs> want to associate with me hey light light hey light love brother uh when are we podcasting i have a lot to say yeah but what you're talking about through your like art and stuff i really like because it's all centered around like very humble like you don't know anything you can't know anything you know and, yeah. and like about um consider your point of view and like readjust your point of view Mm -hmm. Which uh, I think connects to a lot of what we were saying today of like, um, I think it's easy a lot of times to be like, oh, these systems and everything outside of us oppresses us. But then there are not enough people, in my opinion, considering how your point of view of those systems needs to be clarified or adjusted. Like we're also a point that exists within the system. Consider how you view it and how you act within it. I love it that it centers the individual very much in all your work as like. How do you perceive what's happening to you and around you? Yeah. That was precisely my goal with the whole thing when I was first, first <laughs> mapping it out. Awesome. <laughs> I was thinking about the reason I asked you to be on the show is because I was thinking about you the other day because I was trying to map out an idea that I had 
that the was, wizards, right? You yeah. got to understand the the war to understand the conflict. Yes. Or no, I, in order to understand the conflict, you must understand the war. Right. Like, so I don't know if I really expressed it correctly. I'm still trying to work it out. I was I had a big, huge idea in my brain that I couldn't hold on to. And I was like, I'm going to draw it in a cartoon because cartoons are easy to sketch out. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. this is like what Ramin does with this fucking shit. <laughs> and it, That's a good one, though. Are you still working on that one? Yeah, I've, I've got it laying around. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I don't even make fucking art, but like, I don't know, maybe I will. I was, you do make fucking art. Make some visual art. Do it. You yeah, do maybe it. I'll do it. I was I was thinking a lot about, Um, I think when I when I drew that, I was thinking about that photo or that political cartoon that was going around that's kind of it's been around it's about uh israel and palestine and it's about uh the small square that you see that they show on tv which is the guy with the knife in his hand hitting the other guy and it looks like the one guy is hitting the other guy and then the the fucking fr- the entire picture outside of it shows you that it's like you know one guy is being hit with a baseball bat from outside the camera's screen or whatever i don't know uh, but I was thinking about that because I was like, um, I guess framing stuff is something I'm just like fixated on real hard or whatever. But you, the- you ever see that one with the the soldier and like they frame it like one is they're they're pointing a AK-47 at the kid's head. Yeah. And on the other part, it's got water. And well, then, the meme. You know, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Or like the boot on the head meme. There's like a bunch of stuff like that or yeah. whatever. It's hard to describe visual stuff on a podcast. I probably shouldn't <laughs> be doing it. But um, but I guess I was kind of fascinated by like I was I was it made me wonder like well, okay I want to talk to Ramin and, and like go like how why, how what's your mind like why, why do you think visually like that like how did that happen you know hmm I think I always have and I think you you get better at it the more you do it the same way that when you're doing stand up a lot you start to just think in terms of bits you're just in that mode so yeah. like you tend to generate bits and then. The more I do that, like now I don't even think in bits like bits are a thing that happen in a podcast in that moment or when you're with your friend or something. And then I, I haven't thought of like a joke that I would be able to tell on stage in a minute. Yeah. And when I have. You're not free. Very good. You're free. <laughs> yeah. That was another thing. I know the episode is over, but the, right, the, the isolation, I feel like it's great. The Austin scene is so good for friendship and stuff, but it's double edged sword as with everything, because then you have an identity. You are this person who does this type of comedy. You've been doing it this long. You have these goals. These are your your friends. And to to step widely outside of that is even if you're not being made fun of it's just uncomfortable and yeah. then when you're alone you can just be whatever you, you want be whatever you want yeah yeah no i totally get that man all right well let's let's wrap it up here let's do some plugs and get out of here um do you have anything to promote before we go oh um i mean you already said my website so i think yeah just go check out the the website and every Every book I have, you can read online for free. And if you want to buy a physical copy, there's physical copies there as well. And 100% of proceeds go to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, Okay. I got Casual Sets NYC. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. It's twice a month at Asylum in Chelsea or West Village, whatever. I don't know. Um, And that's it. Follow me on Luisa Diaz Nuts. You know the stuff. It'll be in the description. Oh, right. Also, also before Jake says his thing, I forgot <laughs> to plug Mind Under Matter podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. Moss also, mm-hmm. uh, just because I realized like, oh, I don't need to plug anything. And now I'm like part of a, a band now. So it's like, oh, I should plug <laughs> yes. the band. Yeah. Yes. Mind Under Matter podcast with Shane Moss. He, he does a science podcast. He talks about science stuff. I interrupt him with an awful impression of 
people and then we have a blast no two-person podcasts are the superior form as we've all learned (laughs) they Um, are yeah ramin and shane moss doing mind uh over matter mind under matter under under there's like six podcasts called mind over matter we're mind (laughs) under matter i think there's one other one somewhere we didn't know about it at the time we tried to there's another why you mad out there yeah uh, it's fine you can't find it we googled it we binged it everywhere but they haven't put out an episode in at least a year right we're fine yeah we're We're, we're post raisin brand they're Kellogg's raisin (laughs) brand or whatever yeah No, but it's cool. It's a good concept because it's like, um, you know, your whole sort of mind smashed up with his science mind. It's a good concept. It's like what we do here. And then also Rainbow Rainbow Brain School Hour. Uh, yeah, that's the one where that. it's more mystical. There's a good episode with Jake on it. There's, um, It's all on my website. And that one's like I talk to artists, mystics, creatives, that kind of people. Yeah. No scientists, except for a psychedelic <laughs> one once. <laughs> I love that. All right. My other show is Pod Damn America, and um, I'm going to go on tour soon, and I haven't booked the shows yet, but it'll be there. <laughs> uh, it'll be up on, on Twitter soon and stuff and on my website, and um, I think that's... Can I go on tour with you? Yeah. We're going to do shows with the, <laughs> yeah. in the well, yeah. well, you guys come on my podcast uh, individually or as a duo. Absolutely. Either way, we would love cool. to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It would be, yeah, it'd be fun to have you as a duo on the on the show. The yeah, art alone, yeah. I just want. You make such cool <laughs> pictures for everyone that's on your show. Oh, right on. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. That's All right. Good night. It. See you in the I DMs, am- y'all. Bye.